So, welcome to Grog Talk. Welcome. This is episode 10. 10 weeks of the shenanigans. It's our 10th. 10th anniversary. Yes. <laughs> What'd you get me? Oh, you I got, got you some dice. That's right. Well, let me start with that. Let's. Uh, this is uh, official GaryCon dice. So, you have some uh, explanation of what, how you came up with these? Yeah, so those have been advertised on the GaryCon site for a while, and they, they sold some initially through the website. If I recall correctly, they uh, sold out, but they said they have more at the convention. And uh, I was in a long line waiting to register, and I was next to this table mm-hmm. that was getting ready to open up. And so I was at the table, and it was like 3.50, and I think they opened up at 4. And the good news is the line, I was 10 minutes later. Oh, wow. I was still not, No, it wasn't that bad. I, I tease. Actually, the line, it, it was very efficient. It moved very quickly. But, I, but fortunately enough, I was still close to that table when it opened up, and so... I thought that would be a good gift, you know, well, that's, the old school feel. That's awesome. Yeah, I never had dice like this. I mean, I've had multiple dice, and I'm sure maybe one or two of them are original-esque from the box set. Like, this guy looks pretty, he looks pretty legit. So, what did you get me? Um, from Gary Con? For the anniversary. Oh, you know. You forgot, didn't you? Have a pen. You forgot. You didn't That's know. Right. You didn't know no. it's the anniversary, did you? I wasn't sure if you were coming back based on last week's thing. I thought you got. You might have been moving to to Wisconsin. So at least you could have gone to Walgreens and like that card just at the last yeah. moment. Well, actually, I have a card over there. It's, <laughs> it's a birthday card. So and your birthday passed already. So you should have. This is actually advice beyond first edition. You should have like a stash of happy anniversary, happy birthday cards, just, just generic, don't you think? I, I had that just at work. Like it, yeah. Because it's like, oh, I'm sorry, here you go. <laughs> exactly. Go, of course, go, course I remember. Go to the Dollar Tree. They're, they're two for a dollar. They're not too bad. So, uh, well, well we, um, today we're going to talk about campaigns. But before we do that, actually, um, why, we're, we're going to do our Word of Recall segment. And in our Word of Recall segment... Why don't you uh, tell us how your DM experience, because last week when we talked to you, you were planning, you and Joe were uh, on day three of the GaryCon. Right. And um, you were just about to, uh, you know, the next day, well, the next day you were going to DM. So uh, tell us how it went. Oh, thanks, James. So uh, I think it went well. Uh, So uh, I had some no-shows, which isn't surprising. My game was at Sunday morning at 8 a.m., uh, and yeah, fine. well, I can explain that. So we were flying out that day, and I wanted to be able, we needed to be able to get to the airport. So the game needed to end no later than two. And I, I didn't want to do the four hour slot. I was doing the Halls of Tis and Thane, which I felt was going to take some time to do right. So I wanted six hours. So I did it at 8 a.m. I think part of me was hoping that people wouldn't sign up. So it was my first. <laughs> Just enough maybe to have a game, but uh, not too many. And if that was my hope, it worked out. The plan worked perfectly. Three out of six showed up. uh, But one uh, guy came wandering by and was a friend of one of the players. So he ended up with four out of six players. Uh, They did seem a little sleepy, which was okay. Some of them did. Uh, but it went uh, it went well. I think uh, we had a fun time. Tis and Thane, a great adventure. Always uh, turns out a little bit differently, uh, as do most adventures. And so uh, I'm I'm happy with my experience. Uh, I felt like I knew the rules uh, well enough. And uh, a shout out to my good friend Joe, who did assist me. Oh yeah, and did a, did a great job. Played a, a goblin 
uh, you know, leader. Oh, he played one of the goblins. Cool. Well, I just turned to him. So it was uh, Craig and, you know, the goblin leader, and there were some discussions. And so I just I turned to Joe, and uh, Joe was uh, quick about it and uh, went into character and uh, helped out with the, uh, the wandering uh, monsters, uh, did some roles for that, and uh, it went real well. So thanks for asking. Oh, that's very good. Uh, any lessons that you learned from uh, your, your DMing at a convention? That, or at least, what were the things you talked about? The noise, you talked about pre-gen, some of these things. What were the things that worked as you thought, and what were the things that, now that you've done it, you may have changed? Well, the one thing that didn't work is, for, I think, the third straight game, I forgot to use my jumbo purple dice for oh. the big battle against the... You know, there's a purple theme, but we don't need to go into that. Okay. But I think things worked out well, so... Uh, I did backstories for each of the characters on the back of the character sheets, and I, you know, I found both in the playtest game and in the game at GaryCon that there were players that enjoyed that. They read them and they used it. So, I would encourage you if you're going to run one of these games to do a little backstory on the back. And what I told the players was if they wanted to use it, great. If they didn't want to use it, great as well. So you really can't lose with that. And so I did get some characters who got into characters, so to speak, with the backstories. So that worked out well. Uh, you know, the um, it's it's hard with doing equipment for the characters. There's always going to be players who they want something else. You need to be prepared for that. Uh, that players are probably going to say, well, I want this weapon. I want to switch out. And, you know, it's a convention. I think you go with the flow. And I was I was fine with that. Uh, so that, uh, you know, the pregens worked fine. I think you should come with extra pregens as opposed to just the number of players you're going to have because there's going to be some... You don't want the person who shows up and there's not that many characters left to end up with a character they don't like. So I think you should have a lot of... I, I think you should have each race represented and you should have each class represented. Maybe not things like a paladin, which might be a little bit too powerful perhaps, uh, for your game. Uh, that worked out, and, uh, you know, I, I use these jumbo dice, which you may know, mm -hmm. or, you know, I use, and I roll out in the open for most of the rolls, and I like the jumbo dice because then everyone can see them. So I think that's a nice thing for a convention. If, if you're the DM and you're going to be rolling out in the open... Some large props, large dice. Yep, large dice. You know, I've got the uh, I've got the dice tray mm -hmm. and the large dice, so everyone can see what the rolls are, which I think is nice. Uh, one of the things that I... I was debating was how much to do with coming to the town, being in the town, talking to the bartender, so to speak. I think for most convention games, you want to move right to you're standing in front of the castle or you're at the steps to the dungeon. I kept it just because in the halls of Tis and Thane, I think it creates some real atmosphere. I, as you may recall, you know, oh, you're in the town with the one that they have issues at. Yeah, the night things are coming in, and he's got to spend the night there. And so with six hours, I decided uh, to keep it. Uh, and I think that went well also. Uh, so, um, you know, a, a lot of the things with running a convention game is understanding timing and knowing when you can advance the adventure so that way you can get to the big battle at the end. Uh, and just a, a little note about how it ended. Right at the end, a player cast a charm person on one of the baddies, which was wonderful because that allowed. And it, he said he wanted to, I think then the baddie invited them to dinner or he wanted to have dinner with the baddie. And what was nice about it, that allowed one of the baddies to sort of explain everything that was going on. And so it was a nice way to recap the adventure 
within the adventure. Okay. And so, right. yeah, so I, th- I think that, you know, uh, the prep that I did worked out well, uh, you know, Having the map ready for the players worked out well. So, did you yeah. give performance reviews of the players? I know you had said you weren't going to do that, but I wasn't sure if you changed your mind. I did not. Uh, players were, I think, racing off to the airport. So it was the last day. It was Sunday, and it was two o'clock. And players were were, were trying to get out of there. I think. When was the convention officially over? I think I'm not sure. I think it officially ends at four, maybe. Okay. Um, but you know, I think a lot of people are flying out, like we were. Um, and so, no. What I like to um, what I like to do is I give a recap at the end of the game, and I like to talk about how the party handled things differently than other parties in the playtest. And in that, I like to point out things that players did well. So, for example, you know, the players in this game, they were, they were smart. They found a particular secret passage. I like to point that out. So I like to keep things very positive, and I like just to sort of go around. The smart thing to do, if you can think about it, I think, is to, in the recap and talking about how the game was different from others, is to maybe point out how each player contributed in a positive oh, way and okay. did something. I mean, that's what I would do, yeah. you know, because, uh, you know, you, you don't, you don't, you don't want to have, I, I, I'm not a big fan, I mentioned this last time, of, well, you were the best player, because then everyone else is like, well, is I not that good? And, and I know a lot of people are going to say, well, is this the everyone gets a ribbon right. here? But, you know... It's not a competition. It's a convention. You, you're fine. If, if it is a competition, then yes. Yeah. You're going to have a winner and you're going to have a loser. But if everyone's just coming around to have some fun, I'm a big fan of, of pointing out things that players did well. And this, this team did a lot of things very well. Uh, and so it was a fun game. Any uh, personality issues or everyone, like, since you had a smaller group, you didn't have, I know that was one of the things we talked about with larger groups, so there was any issues with that? No, I mean, what, what you're going to get at a game like Gary Khan is you're going to get some players who know the rules very well. I mean, what's, what's interesting about it is you've got a lot of people who I think this is their one, one opportunity a year to play first edition again. And so they don't know the rules all that well. And, and I think that's actually great because they, it kind of decreases the tension. You know, if you've got some players like, yeah, hey, what was that rule again? It kind of, particularly as a DM, it puts you a bit at ease feeling that you know the rules uh, better than they do. Uh, and you're going to have some players that uh, know the rules quite well. And, you know, and I had a player who, who knew the rules well. But I think it, it was fine because it was, you know, I think as long as you as a DM know the rules well enough, if you've got players at a, game, at a convention game who know the rules better, particularly if you're at a convention like GaryCon where it's pretty easygoing, mm-hmm. it's sort of then like, okay, yeah, what was that rule? Let's, you know, let's go with it. And right. so, um, no, I didn't. I, I turned out not to have any any real personalities uh, that I had to deal with. Okay, well, very good. Um, so, and you're planning on going on next year? Definitely going to go next okay. year. Definitely going to go next year. Whether well, I'm going to run or not, uh, that'll have to. What was decide. the advantage of, of doing that, just besides um, the yeah. status and honor and glory of being a DMer? Exactly, saying I DM'd it. Uh, None. Uh, there is, at a certain point, if you DM enough hours, oh. then you, I think you get some swag. And, you know, there's different. I think based on the amount of hours, you get different th- different rewards. Uh, but so I just did it just because I, I wanted to run the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll see. I don't know if I'm going to do it next year or not, but I'm definitely going. All right. Well, hopefully we'll both be able to go. Like that I said, would be great. Yeah, because live from, double live from, we can sit at the hotel room and yes. stream. that Because that's really compelling. Yes, exactly. That was, I, you know, we you said we got a lot. That's our most uh, looked at uh, 
YouTube. I don't know how the podcast is going. I have to check that. But also, Dan and I have decided we're going to accept. We want to. We have a social experiment. Almost, we're yeah. going to see. If people are actually watching this or interested, so you should have done this earlier because they, they've yeah. all checked out by now. Yeah, you're sorry. No, but go ahead. But yeah, so we have the grog line. It's 407 476 6779. That's 407 476 6779. So if you want to call while we are jibber jabbering, you can you do that. And I will need to add that to my show prep notes to add that right at the beginning. Yeah, and you should probably do that number. Again, in a few minutes, because you know people are running for pencil. Like what? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have a little Chiron on the bottom running there at some point next time. Because we are, yeah. Our, as you probably noticed, for people who are watching this, I was in my in our, our play area where we normally would play if I played here. Now we're back to where we normally record this, so everything's all jacked up. So I'll I will have to I'll have to remind. We'll have to every five minutes. Don't forget to call. Yeah, and so this is basically to see if anyone is actually watching this live. Right. So just I don't, just call and say hey. You don't need to have any big question, any big comment. Exactly. You can if you want. Right. Just we want to hear from you. We'll, we'll take we'll take your uh, we'll take your comments. Just see. it's almost like we just want to know that people are out there. Right. And we're not just uh, entertaining ourselves, which you are. It's pretty entertaining. So. Uh, the second part of our word of recall is we're going to talk about campaigns. Uh, so we've talked about the four, the three or four phases of the game, exploration, and encounter, social interaction, after the adventure, and now we're talking about a campaign. So what does a campaign mean to you, Dan, when you hear that word campaign? A campaign to me... When I hear that word, I think a lot of work by the DM. But <laughs> in addition to that... I think of adventures that are connected in some way. So you're going to identify a campaign world, a setting, Greyhawk, Helenor, a Forgotten Realm. You identify a setting. You'll identify where the players are from. And so as you run the different adventures, you will identify where are the player characters. You're going to do things like, okay, you're going to have a lot more of the non-adventure stuff involved, such as where are you getting the training, where do you live, uh, and and a lot of the cam- a lot of the adventures oftentimes the campaigns I think of as homebrewed, but they don't have to be. Okay, yeah. So the you know as the Dungeons and Dragons, my understanding from the early days forward, you know the initial thing was. You appear, like at a tournament, you appear at the dungeon. Right. There's a town, quote, open quote. You do stuff there, and you go back into the dungeon, or you go to another dungeon. You get some room. You get some rumors. Right. You get some rumors. You go back. And or and if you travel from place to place, it's, it's the, what you're doing is, uh, if it's a permanent record, is not necessary. What's important is just the actual fighting, combat, collecting stuff. But as the game quickly progressed, people wanted to understand how these dungeons, uh, settings, these characters you found. So the campaign is the, is the glue that stitches or the, the fabric that stitches your adventures together. And um, it is the thing that, you know, if you're the dungeon master, it either you will either see it as a great opportunity for innovation and imagination, or you'll see it as um, a lot of work. And fear and trepidation because of that work, and not feeling like, uh, you know, you're not you're not J.R. or Tolkien or someone like that, or T.S.R. who can do that. So, um, you know, d- there's a lot of different approaches to doing a campaign, 
And you can, in the Dungeon Master's Guide on page 86, there is a number of discussions that Gary Gygax has there. Um, you know, he, he talks about uh, various topics of how to start how to start it. And he basically says, there's nothing wrong to use a prepared setting. So that's one of your options. Like uh, Dan said, you can buy one or you can get one from online now because they're available. You can buy someone's setting and it gives you all the context. Or you can make your own. Probably should talk about some of the elements of a campaign. So you mentioned the towns, the cities, right? You the, there's another thing, the pantheon, typically. Mm-hmm. So you're having to make some dis- decisions on uh, you know, how many gods you have, what gods are available, uh, you know, the cosmology of it, and you know, we were talking before we started the physics of D and D. Some of this may be totally fascinating to you. What is the creation story of your world, and how did it happen, and how many, his- you know, how far back does it go? Does it go back a hundred billion zillion years, or is it only thousand years, or whatever? Um, if you're interested in that, that's great. If not, then uh, then you have to populate it with. Um, you have to figure out the. The governments, you know, is there kingdoms, is there just towns, is there empires, uh, what kind of cultures there are, what's the titles, um, you, you talk about calendars you have to potentially do, you know, you may not want to use the Monday th- uh, through Sunday or the seven days a week, you could create your own calendars and lunar things and, you know, do you have one moon or 17 moons, so all these things start opening up and for most people that becomes very overwhelming and in fact the default uh, in in AD and D, which is is kind of called fantasy land, Western Europe, Middle Ages is the idea, is the default, um, just so that you don't have so many choices. You don't have to do that, but it is um, makes the job of getting to what we most want to do, which is get into the dungeon and adventure. Um, so the other thing that's kind of alluded to, and I think this is the influence of the books and uh, that I think they've read, and that's on Appendix N if you want to read what Gary Gygax's influential readings, is this idea that you're living through a time where there, where there was a history, there was a much better world organization, and it's collapsed, and you're kind of living in the wreckage of that, some post-apocalyptic, not maybe apocalyptic, but there was a bigger empire, there was much more sophisticated, and now you're picking through the rubbles of that, that, and that's where these dungeons came from. These ancient temples, well, if there's ancient temples, where did they come from? From ancient deities or ancient times? From that, so um, that can frame your uh, background. So, um, you know, as as a DM is doing two years, what's what is your preference uh, when you when you start one? Uh, preference in terms of creating one or using pre pre gen yeah. or you know what what's your preference at this point? Well, so, you know, you have to keep in mind, too, that I, you know, took the 29 years off. I came to DMing a couple years ago. So uh, unlike maybe people who have been DMing for decades and have settled in on a preference, right now I I sort of like sampling different things. So as you know, I've used, to date, I've used settings uh, that have published settings. I used Pelinor, which was Imagine Magazine's campaign setting. And I used uh, the City State of the Invincible Overlord, which was from Judges Guild. And so I liked that just because, well, for two reasons. Obviously, the setting, which is already published, it does a lot of work for you already. Right. And so, like most of us now, 
we've got, you know, we're working, we've got a lot of commitments, we don't have a lot of time to, to, to world build. And so that was nice. I also liked to be able to learn about some of these settings from the old, like listening to an old album. You know, I want yeah. like, okay, yeah. so what was this like? You know, knowing that so many people had used the city state of the events of Overlord and it was so famous. I, I wanted to get, and I knew it, it was Gonzo. So I'm like, okay, well, I want to experience that. Why, what makes it Gonzo? How does that work in play? Or Pelinor? You know, this is an unusual, you know, not a lot of people here. It's a more obscure one. But so what was this? What was it like? So a lot of what I've been doing and getting back into first edition is wanting to sample not only the old modules but also the old campaign settings to get a sense of the different possibilities. So, you know, your question is a tough one for me to answer because I'm really sort of at the point where I am spending time discovering the different possibilities. So I have not yet prepared my own campaign world. I mean, I think what I would want to do is if I did another campaign setting is probably perhaps think about doing a homebrew because I've sampled some of the different ones. Uh, but, there, you know, there's still some other great campaign settings out there that I haven't used yet. Um, uh, Harn World seems very interesting to mm-hmm. me. Uh, and um, also the, the Free City of Haven, which was by Game Lords, is out there too. So uh, I'm sort of, I don't know where I'm at okay. right now. Well, I know as a player, you know, because you've liked as a player in your game, um, you like running, like I said, you want that feeling of well, these these modules, these these materials are legendary. They're they're the history of it. You want to use them, and so you've had to kind of take these modules and then give them a kind of an overarching theme, which is the campaign. You kind of stitch both of them together. And I think you've done a pretty good job. So that's one way to do it, which is taking. Uh, and I've done a similar thing with. Um, I took Greyhawk. Because that was when I was growing up. That was the kind of standard. Uh, didn't really know about the other ones, but that was what was in the bookstores. So same thing. If I if I want to run a campaign, I want to relive that. I take Greyhawk. I pull it out. I take mm-hmm. part of it, and they run some of the modules through it. Particularly since the published modules from TSR uh, up to I don't know through 1984 or something like that, they have a setting in Greyhawk. You can put mm-hmm. it. You know, Two Mahars is here, and uh, this place is. Uh, uh, for dwellers of forbidden cities here, you, you can right. kind of do the tour of what you want to do. So um, I think you know going over the types of campaigns, you can start one. And again, starting one, you have to decide, is it going to be a bottom-up situation? You have new players. You don't want to sit here and figure out a bunch of stuff. You want the game similar to what we talked about with character creation, where instead of all this huge backstory, you're just going to let the game figure it out. Well, you could do that with your um, with your campaign. You could just create a module or buy a module and have them, as they go through, if they, if they pick up clues that you didn't think about, you could add that, and that's how you create your campaign. Or you could do the top-down, where either you buy something or you build something from scratch. You start with this, the planet, whatever, and you build a big map. But that's a huge, potential huge time effort. Have you ever thought about doing that? Sure. So, you know, I, I have to tell you, I think most of the enjoyment I get from D&D is probably from just thinking about D&D. And I think, you know, my guess is there's a lot of people like that, right? Which is, particularly as a DM, you know, thinking about the potential campaigns and what the world would be like is is enjoyable just in and of itself. So... Yeah, I certainly have done that. I, I, I thought about that. 
I think one of the difficulties with doing that is not only does it take a lot of effort, but, and you know, you're going to create this and this is going to be your baby and you're going to have a lot of pride in it to be sure, is you may not have, your players aren't going to necessarily be as invested in it as you are. Right. And, and, And you can't take that personally. So think about this, you know, DMs talk all about how they spend all this time doing a homebrew adventure and then the players go in a totally different direction. Yeah. And you spend all this time preparing it, and then it's just it's off the rails. And think about if you did that with a campaign world. So you got this campaign world, you create this this you know the baddie, you got the backstory, you understand how things are supposed to unfold over twenty adventures, and then first adventure things go in a totally different direction. So I think one of the risks with doing that is is that happening. And I think if you're going to create a campaign world, I think you better have a lot of flexibility with it and not be too upset if things don't pan out the way you want them to. Yeah, I think over time that has progressed, and that's one of the things I'm not as big a fan of, where if you're not careful, your game can, in my opinion, change from being where you make a setting and the players do their thing and then the, the world reacts to it to hear these set pieces, the adventurers go look at this piece, and then they go this piece. It's almost like it's a small world. They, they're on a ride, and they see the things like, oh, that's a very nice ride, but it doesn't matter. It's like Epcot. Right, it's Epcot. Or there's only limited choices. It's, you know, choose your own adventure, but you're really not choosing your own adventure. You have, there's only limited amount of permutations um, because you want to maximize the, the dramatic effect or these things that have to happen. This player character dies at this point, or this character... This event happens, and you can only have, have that if you know what they're, how, when they're going to get here. And as a DM, you can insert that, just like you would in your uh, tournament module. Hey, I've got six hours. I want them to have the epic battle at this time. I can, I can. They don't know that the epic battle is supposed to be in room 27. I can move that forward. Um, so you can do that a little bit, but if, if you start figuring out how the end is going to be with this epic conclusion at the end and then the resolution... You know, if you have the Battle of, uh, you know, Minas Tirith set up and and that, uh, you know, they're going to kill the Nazgul at the end and that doesn't work out, then you're disappointed. So you should probably set the table and see where the adventure goes. You can continue to put things um, in play that give tension to it, but you... I never want the players to think they have no agency because to me that's where people get very unhappy about that. So um, my take is if I'm going to create one, I'm going to start bottom up first because that's how you get started. You're in a you're in a dungeon, either you buy one or not. You create a town. You got to start with something so they can supply and go to the inn or meet, um, and. From that, build the rumors. Maybe there's in the creation, there's something in the module that says, oh, they have this name of this person. Well, what does this mean? Where do they come from? And build it up from there. Um, if it's more organic, and then it doesn't force these strange things to happen in your campaign. Like, you meet the Duke, and they kill the Duke. Wait, they weren't supposed to kill the Duke. Yeah. It's not supposed to happen. And now you're, you know, the Duke's 47th level. How did, why is he a Duke of this small place if he has, you know, 47th level? Um, or, you know, you start giving one of your characters a lot of uh, things that are associated with them. That's that's a challenge. You want your characters to get invested, so you start giving them things. 
well, if they're the main part of the plot and they die, well, then what happens? Mm -hmm. Then you get this kind of idea of plot armor where someone can't die because they're important to your thing, and people start realizing, oh, this guy's not going to die. And then they start just doing crazy things. They start jumping up and forward because they're like, well, let's see if I can die. So it's a very slippery uh, slope. And, and, you know, when you used... uh, So the last thing you did was a city-state, but the modules you were were using were not in city-state. So what was your thought process of how to getting those some of those modules into the city-state. So it could be it could be difficult at times. So if you're going to use a pre-existing world campaign setting, but then you're going to use published modules and you want it to have a campaign feel, then you do of course have to have a way to connect the adventures. And you know, sometimes sometimes you might know that the adventures can be connected. So I've always felt that you could have a really nice opening to a campaign setting by doing, say, you know, the Tower of Xenopus, which could then lead into uh, the Beacon of Enantor, which could then lead into the U-series, Salt Marsh, and the other ones. They all have they all have sort of you know a, sort of a pirate connection, but. Absent doing that, you've got to figure out a way to connect them, and that can be a bit strained at times. And and to be honest, it got a bit tough for me at times, mm-hmm. and not always satisfying to try to you know force together the connection between these adventures. Uh, and you know, one of the things. So so, I think the reality is there's there's no perfect way to do this. Uh, if, if you want to have a pre-existing setting, but you also want to have modules, but they're not automatically connected, then you're going to have to fit, find ways to put them together. But, you know, that can also at times, although it's sometimes frustrating, it can also be fun. Yeah. Um, what I like about pre-existing adventures, too, is that I think they do leave a lot of creativity to be involved, where you say, okay, well, you know, who is this guy? What's the backstory? You get to add to it to try to connect them, and that can be a lot of fun. So in some respects, it's sort of a hybrid between a homebrew and a completely prepared campaign setting. Uh, but it, it, you know, it, it can be tough at times. But, uh, you know, uh, you, you, try to, you try to think of, you know, an overarching theme. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the problems is, some of your player characters are going to care more about the connection than others. Right. And so you're going to have some players who are really like the campaign theme that if the baddie gets away in adventure number one, they want to find that baddie. <clears throat> so they're not happy with just saying, oh. Moving on, yeah. Moving on. We, right. We, you know, we're 0-1. <clears throat> They don't want to be 0 and 1. They wanted to be 0 and 0. And but, but in our party, we were totally fine with that. Every time we failed, that we didn't find that the guy would escape, that we would do half the adventure. We're like, nah, that's okay. We move on to the next. Right. They're, they're gone. Uh, so, uh, and you know, one of the difficult things about a campaign as well is that, understandably, you're going to have players who want to do things in between the adventures. They're going to want to build things. They're you know get additional skill, whatever. And that can be, and I know you know this quite well, that gets to be quite time-consuming, doesn't it, in between adventures? Right, like we talked about, it's, um, I try to use, we use Meetup to, for our lot, for a game, in-person game, and I try to do the messaging of all that stuff because we only meet every other week, four hours plus or minus, uh, to play, and if you're spending two hours haggling skills, 
trying to build stuff, research, they want to do all this, that's, that's time not playing as a group. It becomes a bunch of mini-adventures. And, and the other reality I have is, as you know, I have between 9 and 12 players. So if each of them are going, I want to talk to this person, I want to talk to that person, we, it could take the whole game. And when you have a large enough group, someone is not going to like that. They generally understand the game is, even the ones who want social interaction, they understand the game is you're, you're in a thing and you're trying to figure out something. That's the game. Um, and they understand the majority of that time is going to be in there. Now, if you have a smaller group and they're more uh, looking for that social interaction and that wants to be the emphasis, then that's fine. But if you have a large group, you have to... Everyone, the social contract is you know you're there to roll dice and fight things. There has to be the majority of it because everything else becomes individual interaction. And unless they are friends who are committed and they're very good at it, people aren't and it can be entertained. Uh, there's a there's a there are people who just want to be sitting at the table and every once in a while throwing dice and they want to be participants. Most people want to they're not there completely to be passive. So um, I thought you did a really good job when you took the uh, both Pelinor and that. I, I didn't know those um, I did not know those modules were p- plugged in or not. Um, and uh, like you, just the example of the play that we do here. You know, I came up, I got a adventure, I set it there. I I didn't know exactly what the thing was going to be, but after what happened, I there's two or three hooks that I could use to continue the game, and that'll be up to mm-hmm. Dan to decide what it is. And so that's that should not stop you from being a DM. As as two uh, dungeon masters like to see more people DM. Don't use this as an excuse why you're not going to uh, DM. There's simple ways to do it. If you have limited time, just create an adventure, get an adventure, start playing, and then you can figure out bottom. If you are really immersed in this and you really want this great world, and you have players who want to do this, that they're going to buy in. And you only need one or two. You know, I'm very fortunate. I've got a couple of players, at least two, who are very, they, they want to, they really want I think they want it for their characters more than my my campaign, but they're they're happy to play along and they're happy to get immersed into it. Right. Um, How's Marquesa doing? Marquesa isn't that the slave lords? Yes, they didn't. They Marquesa? well. So what happened was yes, that's a two in the slave lords. I played. The reason I say that I, I didn't mean it. I know that came out of left field. Yeah, is, Marquesa's uh, the elf uh, slave lord in a two. Yeah. Is she still alive? Well, so... Because, uh, you know, so Carlos Leising has been publishing these modules dealing with Marquesa. Hmm. Like, sequels. Yeah, she's a nasty thing. She's nasty. We haven't been able to kill her yet, so I've been to two Garycons, still oh. pursuing her. And the first one was called Die, Die, Marquesa, or something mm-hmm. like that, and didn't happen. Again, yeah. didn't happen. She, um... So, uh, the reason I asked that is because my, uh, When I took over, same thing, I didn't have a whole lot of time. I wanted to move it out, uh, so that's a great example. So uh, Dan and Ed started the group. You said, oh, we're going to start with Borderlands, right? You didn't have a campaign at this point, right? You just wanted to play with camp- Borderlands. Yeah, so you know, yeah, we were going to run our first game, and I had never remembered going to Keep on the Borderlands. And so I said, well, I'll run Keep on the, you know, we're gonna keep on the Borderlands. And right. Seemed like a good setting. So right. Down and, the middle of nowhere. But you got a town. You got it's a town. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's an area of forest... There is a couple of interesting parts throughout the forest which mm-hmm. you could add or delete. Right. They also leave a hook uh, in the caves that there's this block passageway right. that you could unblock and make mm-hmm. it another connection. 
there are tribes. There's uh, some evil uh, clerics in the thing that you don't. They're not, they're not told what deity they're with. They're just you know generic evil deity, you know whatever. So you have all those hooks that you could plug into. Uh, you also yeah. had dwarves or whatever. Then you had a bunch of other things. So that's a great segue. So you, you, you started with that. I would play that so differently now. Two years later, the cleric would like send you a note like asking you to come talk to him. Right. It would be totally different now as opposed to it. It was very hack and slash. Borderlands is very hack and slash. It is. But that's okay. But it's, a good first, it's a good start. But it's interesting because I had, uh, and some of your players would hate that. So I'll give my example. So I was, I, I, uh, you know, one of the other famous ones is uh, Cult of the Reptile God, which is at beginning level. It's got a town, Cord or Lane, um, and so it's a great setting. And there's, you know, in the classic thing, all the all the uh, shopkeepers and a lot of them are fleshed out, and they have how much money, and you know, you could spend a lot of time in there. Well, anyway, the the party's going through the dungeon. They get to the dungeon part, and uh, they're slowly clearing out the place. And I forgot exactly. Oh, they, they held up because um, they're kind of beaten up. And they've beaten enough at where the enemy couldn't really attack them but because um, they defeat a lot of the fires. But they also, um, it was kind of the stalemate. And so they come out of the, their room that they had locked in. And they had put all these animated skeletons, skeletons, animated skeletons of the cleric days and basically had them pointing different ways to have them get to the big fight. Oh, they really thought that sucked. So it would be curious if, if what your players would say of, oh, why would the cleric do that? This is so lame. This is, you know. So. I read that module. That's not, right? You, you get that. So I did have somebody show up to my game with the, uh, with a copy of the module. Tizen thing. Really? Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Do they want you to sign it or something? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, he thought it was Albie Fior. So, uh, uh, but yeah. okay, but you're saying, yeah, so we, so I started with Borderlands. Started with Borderlands, and you had no idea what was going to end up at this point, right? You were just like, hey, I'm getting the group together. I want, this is a classic module that you had not played, right? Correct. So, not to my knowledge, anyway. Right. Been a long time. And you just wanted to see what happened. And so... From that, I find, here's what I remember right there. The, the humanoids attacked the fort, and then after the, you know, we defended the fort, and we somewhat saved everyone. I think, did we fight the cleric? I think we fought the cleric. You went back. Right. You went back. And I can't, I can't remember if the cleric, is he escaped out the back door? I feel, like we, I feel like we didn't defeat I him. feel like he escaped. And then there were dwarves that you guys set up near there or something, weren't there? Oh, yeah, the dwarf took over. Yeah, because there the was... The dwarves a, took over. They took over oh, the, the dwarves were given the caves, and we had a dwarf who was given a room there. Right. Right. So the dwarves took over. So all that's not in the module. You just started putting that in. Yeah. And uh, then we, then the next module you use Citadel by the Sea, if I remember correctly. Great. Yeah. A, a, a very uh, a very good adventure from, from Dragon Magazine. Uh, 78 or so. It's in the 70s. And it was one I knew. And I had a, so I knew both of them. I'd played both of them. I ran both of them. So I had to shut up and just sit there and kind of go, oh, that's yeah. good. Cromart. Um, I love Cromart. Yeah. Yes. And then you elaborate Cromart. And he was a sage <laughs> in that. And, and so... You basically evolved the game based on the characters who interacted. And there, there was, you know, it became pretty in-depth. And then at some point, Ed said, well, you tell me, when did you and Ed decide, you know what, Ed's going to kind of put his campaign? Because he had a map and all this other stuff in there. Oh, yeah. So, well, it was, and so that was, that was actually from the beginning. Okay. Which was, so, and I think that was, you know, so 
we had two DMs, which I think can work very well. But there can also be some things where, you know, if one DM wants to do the campaign world and the other one is just doing individual adventures, then it does get difficult. I mean, you talked about fitting advent- preset adventures into a published campaign world. You know, if you've got two DMs, and this is probably not going to be an issue for most of our, our viewers or listeners because they're going to have a single DM, not two DMs. But if you've got two DMs and one is doing a homebrew world right. and the other one wants to run set adventures, then it does get difficult to sort of mesh them. Um, and so I think that, I mean, I would say it was terribly difficult, but, you know, it, it required more coordination than it otherwise would have. So that was actually... From the beginning, we had identified where the borderlands were. But see, then that gets challenging because if you've got a world created by one DM and you want to run the borderlands campaign, you got okay, we got to find where are the borderlands, right. w- where would this be? And so that got difficult to continually fit. You know, where is the citadel by the sea? I think we changed the title because we didn't have a sea. Right. <laughs> it was, it it's was just the citadel. Citadel. The citadel. So, um, and again, not a big deal. Right. But those are some of the challenges that we faced. Okay. So, um, so after Ed and Dan, they switched over to the other game, and I inherited um, the, the campaign. Which is still called Borderlands, It's right? still called the Borderlands. That's right. right. I have a picture. We have a picture of the various things of the Borderlands depicted. And... So what I said was because it was the story arc was had already gone pretty deep into what Ed was trying to do because um, we played that one with the pyramids. What was that module? It was some. He, I don't know if it was a planned module or not. I don't know. Oh, it was. that was Ed as a homebrew one. Okay, so that was. So it became Ed's game uh, because you went and split off, and then Ed went with you. So it was. I decided, you know, we're gonna just tear this down and almost do. Uh, Keep keep some, but the players wanted to keep their characters. So um, I wasn't going to punish them that because we were switching DMs that they would lose their guys. So what I said was, okay, how can I take this situation? Well, um, basically the it was like the uh, uh, end of the uh, all the people that they knew, all the NPCs. There was a coup and if bad things happened. They escaped with their lives basically, and they took a ship and they went to another part of the world, a.k.a. a part that Dan didn't, uh, excuse me, Ed hadn't set up, mm-hmm. and I started from there. So all I knew was, I knew what the module I was going to run, uh, Secret of Bone Hill. That's what I started with. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a seaport, so I said, okay, how am I going to get in there? Well, they're going to take a ship. I didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, having them adventure to get out of the old area. I just told them that the capital was burning, the main capital, the queen had been arrested. This was all from Ed's area. And they were running for their lives because they had found they had um, they had the secret of this prophecy. That was what the thing that was Ed's thread that there was a prophecy that was going to be revealed. So the people who wanted to hide the prophecy were going after them. They were too powerful. They ran because they knew the secret. They got on a boat. They shipped over. So I started with L one. I didn't know anything about what I was going to do at that point, but I started with that. L one is a very sandboxy meaning. There's not a thread to each of the pieces it's kind of just like a part of the map it has a town it has a fort it has a couple other hideouts and areas you can go to so i'm like oh great now i got some work to do so then i had to figure out well what's the hook here there's this undead uh creature in the fort that's abandoned there's a magic user so i started putting that together they started adventuring 
And at some point it came up, hey, let's do what would happen. And the town itself, uh, Restonford, which I renamed Kayford, because this is the other problem. Like you said with Ties and Thane, you got, all these things are online. And if you right. run them as written and you tell them this is the thing of that, you know, unless you're going to ban phones, this is what people are doing. Oh, what's the guy's name? Yeah. Uh, Tolvar or whatever his name, Meltar right. or whatever. Oh, he's in, he's in L1. Now, you would hope... You're dealing with adults that wouldn't look at it, but you may not be. And then they're like, okay, I'm going left, right. I press the second button. I take the, you know, there's others that we have a culture of people going, is that really cheating if I take advantage of, of that? We were talking about that before, right? So I had to rename everything. So Wake became Restonford, became Kayford, and I changed all the names of the things. And that, and by doing that, that started me going, okay, well, this is going to be my game. I remember, I don't know if you were telling me to be quiet when I, you, I asked, well, what adventure are you running? And you said, Bone Hill, but you just, shh, don't, you know, keep it on the QT, don't, don't tell anyone, because you were concerned about that, about people knowing. I'm a little different about that. I just, I sort of announced the adventure. Well, but then you have people bringing it with them. Yeah, and I should, <laughs> and I should, and I should note, and I, and I should note that, that, that the gentleman who brought it, he had, he, as she told me after the game, he had run it several times, but... Uh-huh. But he, he did a good job of, right. of not trying to use that knowledge. So um, uh, so so in fairness to him, he, he did a very good job of, of not using that knowledge. You know, he had run it several times. And right. So he, he you know, kind of like you, you know, even if you'd been through Borderlands or you'd been through uh, Citadel by the Sea, you still wanted to, for the nostalgia, just for the fun of it, go back and go through those adventures anyway and, and do the best you can. And so and he did a good job. Yeah, there was a the time I, was a, I took over a paladin someone else's character because I came about a month and a half after you started and you're in there and there's the room and I know the room I know what's in the room I can't just sit there and go well I'm not going in that room uh, you know, and that's the classic, the famous moderate evil discussion where I detect evil yeah what kind of evil is it? oh it's a moderate evil oh okay so why look a white it, it, it's it's not that far down right. on the turning. But list. is it absolute or relative? And that's going to be the podcast. Absolute. absolute. Versus, it's versus, absolute. Right. So if I would have known that, moderate evil from an absolute perspective. Well, you should have asked. You said, well, is, right. is, how, how do you run this? Absolute or? You know, I, in my first level manual of Paladin, you know, how do you did d- the detector, you know, is it on the absolute scale? Or did I click on relative scale? So I probably should have clicked relative so it would be like, you're going to die. My, my, favorite story, my favorite story about that is. So right, so there's, uh, and I guess you know. But I, excuse me, I knew there was a white there, but I couldn't right. tell the rest of the party. Right. Hey, there's a white in there. Oh. We're first level. We don't even have a magic item. But we know. But, so but, I had but, to shut up and let the thing happen. But we know. We, we we know one of the party members knew because he you know because he knew about the whole layout of the keep. I think he built a he built a you know a replica <laughs> of it back in the day, and, and so so he he went he gave uh, tours to Lane. Yeah, and so, <laughs> that's right. And Lane, so Lane went on Dragon's Boy because because he had been level drained and I think right. he was multi-class and the question right. was can you ever get back so if you lose one level because yeah, then you're zero one can you ever go back up and he posted it on Dragon's Foot asking about it and talking about it and somebody posted in and said well a white in a first level adventure if that happened to me I would punch the DM in the nose which was nice knowing I was the DM yeah. to have like so someone on Dragon's Foot would like to inflict physical harm on right, me. Exactly. Um, but then somebody else said, "Well, you need to punch Gary Gygax in yeah. the nose." Yeah. Sign, was... sign Don. Uh, signed, uh, not Don. Yeah. Um, sign Lane. Lane. LF, right? Yeah, right, right. 
But that's the issue, right? So you get these um, uh, campaigns that are old and you want to run them. And hopefully most people are going to the, the things we're doing today. We're running through against the Giants. Um, and the reason how I got to that was I wanted to run old campaigns like you did. Because even though I'd read them, I'd never ran through some of them. Um, and I wanted people to experience the first edition of those games because regardless, warts and all, there's a lot of value to it. It's that shared experience that you're doing. Now that you have the party you ran through Borderlands, people know, oh, you fought this, you did that, you did this, you you know, you found this. That's 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 part of the collective thing you're trying to do when you play a game like this. Do you, can I ask you some questions about your campaign and what you do and don't do? So do you keep track of time? Because yes. I know you've mentioned this to me before. You think it's important. Hugely important. So you are keeping track of time. Absolutely. Co-characters are aging. Uh, technically, they are aging, so I'm doing it both ways. Um, you know, and actually, in, in in the in the DMG, you know, Gary talks about how time is so important, not just in the in the dungeon. Um, you know, especially when they're jibber jabbering, right? So they're jibber jabbering. You know, I told you, roll dice. Keep. Why are you rolling dice? That doesn't matter. Just so they understand the world is right. clicking. I have this pencil, and every, you can see them. I have this sheet that I made up with turns, rounds, days, Excellent. hours. Uh, what day it is, what effects, and I just, I have a little thing, I click up another turn as they're talking, like, what happened? Like, oh, I'm just keeping track of time. So I keep track of time for two things. One, um, I don't want this campaign to go on forever, so I have I have done something, there's a kind of an end of world event that they think is going to happen mm-hmm. X days from now. So this... It frustrates the players, but it keeps things moving. Like, they're like, oh, I want to train, but that's going to take three weeks. Well... Or two or three weeks. Well, you have sixty. You think there's about seventy days left before this uh, abyss opens and all the demons from the abyss come. You can train, but there's there's days you take off. What are your choices with that? So uh, I do that just to keep the thing moving and eliminate some of this uh, campaign. Now, if your players don't want that, that's why I would do the, probably the next campaign. I'll just be like, yeah, whatever. You know, you there's no end of the world scenario. There's nothing like mm-hmm. that. Um, you guys do what you're right. So I do keep time. Okay. And what about? I know that the DMG indicates what well, I think it's about 100 gold pieces per month. Yeah, I don't you, keep track of you that. You don't keep track of that. Okay. Because that's the flip side of it. Because they're in this kind of end of the world thing, um, and they've kind of escaped. They're they're never in their town. They have a hideaway that they got from L1. Uh, so when they go there, they dump stuff in. I'm not too worried about them acquiring too much stuff at this point because the clock is ticking and they're kind of running around. But if I if I did, if this was more of a normal campaign where, you know, they're kind of waiting for a contract to do a new job, they're kind of hanging out in town, mm-hmm. and then someone a few weeks goes, hey, we heard about this adventure, let's get over there. Then, you, yeah, I would definitely be draining time off because that forces, again, the, all those are measures to force the camp the group to do something. So they're not just sitting there passive and waiting. It forces them to go adventure because they're burning 100 gold pieces a uh, level per month or something. And I assume you said it was a hideaway that they got from L1. Mm-hmm. So since it's a hideaway, I assume that they're not paying property taxes. On. That, that's right. In fact, you know, that is an interesting thing. So L1 doesn't talk about property taxes, but here you can set up taxes. <laughs> of course. Because one of the things you're... Uh, your players came for is besides the fantasy of living a life that they don't have that they can defeat dragons and bend time is to figure out the tithes and fees that you would have to pay uh, taxes tolls and um, 
you know, why yeah. don't why don't we ex- why don't we when we're uh, in the first level, right? You keep it boiling. You try to get in the keep. It's like two, whatever two cup. Yeah. Piece. So it's like there there's a toll. Okay, roll initiative. There's a troll. No, 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 no. No. Not a troll. There's a toll. There's a toll. Right. There's a there's a there's a zero level man at arms who has a, a a blue banner or something on him to designate he's the, the or there's a big fat guy who's a tax collector. You need to socially engage with them and see about paying your two silver pieces. That's to get that's, in. that's fun. That is adventuring. That yes. That is first edition. Yes. That. And but then by eighth level, all of a sudden we kind of hand wave that. Why are we not sticking to the game as is? I don't care if you could. Well, here's the problem. Plane shift. Is that when you have twenty thousand gold pieces, right. paying a copper piece to get into the town, is is boring. But that's when you part, have three copper pieces, of, it makes a difference. But that's part of the role playing. Uh, yes, I would. I need to. I I have this. I only the only thing I carry is this ten thousand gold piece gem because that's all I need. I'm sorry, it's three copper pieces. Will you make change for this? No, I'm not. I'm not. No, I don't make change. So what you is have the, to find a change. What does the 12th level wizard do? He just was going to walk in, and that causes a fight. Now he's murdered half the town because he's because he wouldn't pay his three copper pieces. Yeah, because you, you can get change, but the money changer's inside. I do well, do how do I get inside? Well, you got to give me the copper piece. That's right. Well, I need change. Well, that's inside. Right. And that's why I just magic missiled and killed all of you there. So, But that's that's uh, that. I do do money changers. There is a money changer. So they hate... So the wizard who is in there, who's who's kind of uh, he's lawful neutral. He's uh, the description is he's very imperious. Uh, I've kind of made him the guy who runs the place. So he runs the money changer, um, and so you, they get collect money out of the out of the world, and it's in the wrong. It's not stamped with the right thing, so they have to go. It takes that's a five percent conversion. You can't spend this foreign money, and it talks about it in the DMG. Mm-hmm. You can't spend foreign money. So these are all tricks. That you can use to beat down the players to not have as much money, my which is very fun. And my understanding is you have how many players do you have in your like ten, I, eleven, I have, twelve. I have between nine and twelve. I and have they, twelve players, and uh, you know it fluctuates how many people can show up. And then this has been consistent. They keep coming back. They keep coming back despite the money changer. Yeah, well, they haven't dealt with the money changer because again, once to your point, once they get past the escape velocity, once they get past fifth or sixth, seventh, if you're going to have some normal progression of levels. As you saw in your cat in your adventure, you cannot go up in levels by fighting monsters alone. You have to get treasure. The treasure is where the majority of your experience is going to come from. So if you're a seventh level, uh, uh, whatever, you need between forty and a hundred thousand experience points, which means the vast majority of that's going to be gold. So you go from copper pieces and silver pieces to having thousands of gold pieces, and and again, so it, it becomes uh, they've found so much money. Um, that I forced they but it's interesting they still get mad I think they probably have a hundred thousand gold pieces combined in treasure and various things mm-hmm. and I kind of split it up by giving them furs and other things so it's not just easily cash because they have this portable hole they keep stuffing everything in um, but still when they had to raise someone it was fifteen thousand gold and you would have thought they had to mortgage their house right. and like. You guys have a hundred thousand gold pieces. Who cares? It's yeah. fake money. But they uh, they were like, oh my goodness. Well, they were haggling with me because they had uh, again back in L one. Um, so there's this Church of the Big Gamble, which is a chaotic neutral thing. It doesn't say what the god is. I created a god, and basically they gambled to see how much the raised dead was going to be. And they had a choice to either be like five hundred or fifteen thousand. Well, it became fifteen thousand. So. Yeah, sucks to be them. Okay. They sound like they lost. Right. So, but these. So, I started with L one, and then I, some at some point, I said, "Oh, what's going to be the theme? What happens if Lord of the Rings 
so one of the other things I wanted to try to avoid was I am a fan of what Gagex says. This is a human-centric milieu. That's the standard milieu, which mm-hmm. is human-centric. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, that there are norms and dwarves, but they should be rare. And there's a tension to that. Some say, well, they're rare, but player characters should be always the exception. That's why uh, we talked about that two weeks ago, that you know, why, does, why in first edition female strength is less than others. Maybe from an observation as a generalization, but you're talking about heroes. You're talking about heroes. Mm-hmm. There should be no restrictions on them, and that makes sense. But on the other hand, you know, where do you insert quote-unquote reality to this? And that's, again, the physics and everything. But um, so you know, the, the thing of I didn't want parties just all over with gnomes and dwarves and everything else uh, because the party was, at the time, it was an elf, a dwarf, a gnome... There were no humans. Because there's no level limits, right? right. Yes, yes. Because someone's decided there'd be no net level limits. I'm trying to build a, trying to build a group, trying to build a group. Yes, you that's were. right, right. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta give away stuff at the beginning to draw them. Except in. Unearth Arcana. You'd like that was the thing. But that's another story. We'll talk about. That. Well, everything has its yeah. Yeah, there's there, there, that was that was the bridge you wouldn't go too that's far. That's a bridge too far. Yeah. So I basically said that came up. What would what would happen if Lord of the Rings? They, uh, the evil side won, basically is what I came up with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like that stuff. Right. So the, basically everyone's either chaotic neutral or evil. Um, there are very few good people. Mm-hmm. There are no elves and no dwarves and no gnomes. Yeah. They've all been banished or they're killed. You don't know what happened. And so the campaign just kind of evolved from that. So then the dwarf character wanted to find out what happened to the dwarves and the elf character what happened to the elves. And so I... I'm going completely circuitous. So A1, which is the first slavers, became this fallen elvish city that they went to. Because in A1, which is uh, Secret of the Slaver Stock... No, that's... Uh, I forgot what it's called. Slaver's, uh, slaver Stockade. Whatever A1 is, it's part of the slaver cities. It says you end up in this town, but it doesn't describe the town. Mm-hmm. So I just made this fallen elvish city where this temple was. And that's how they got to A1. They didn't, they didn't finish A1. They got captured. No. And they were supposed to go through A1. I was I always skip A2, which is where Marquesa is, because it's a huge module. It's got like 100 rooms in it. Oh, my. So, I mean, we play that. So I was going to go to A3. Well, they got captured. They went to A3 just to see the slave lords, because they were sold to the slave lords, and then... So they're just passing through A3. Right. They just kind of passed through. Hey, this is A3. They, they would be like a random roll or something. Like, so right. someone, another party's going through A3, they would just see that party, like, you exactly. know... Exactly. Hey, how's it going? Hey, can you, can you help us? Help, right. help us. Help. Exactly. <laughs> uh, sorry, we got our own problems. But, you know, it's a, but this is where the campaign kind of evolved itself. Like, the cleric who is uh, eventually goes crazy in, in L1... Um, becomes a prophet in this other town. He gets captured, and they try to save him. So, again, it kind of... Uh, it, it was a very progressive, you know, f- free-flowing thing. I didn't sit here and think about the central tension of good versus evil or law versus chaos and who the main players. It just kind of it kind of evolved out of it. And it's good enough. The player's like, well, he spent some time doing this. I appreciate it. It's good, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and they understand, and, and again... Uh, so I started with what were the goals. The goals was to get something going, give it some ideas. And so I did put some things that kind of came out of it naturally. Like uh, I used Donjon, which I've talked about. Donjon, you can create a, a calendar with moons. You can say how many moons there are in your oh, wow. world. And so I put two. And I noticed when you print out the calendar, it has all these little uh, cosmic events like a shooting star oh, or wow. this or that. So I would as so this is back to your keeping time. So if I kept time, I'd be like, oh, there was a, a 
Northern Lights or something. I would use certain events to cause dreams to, to propel the story. Or when 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 it was when both moons were new moons, mm-hmm. I called that the darkening, which means the undead were free to roam the oh, world okay. with that. And then conversely, when there were two moons, it became the brightening, when undead had to flee mm-hmm. to the darkest parts of it. So I just made that up. Oh. And so I think that's where um, you don't have to spend that much time. You can just kind of think about it a little bit. Uh, I use one note or I use a, an outline and I flesh it out. I don't have, uh, I know a lot of people have pages and pages and pages and pages of notes and references and NPCs and eventually will come out. But that's where you have to be somewhat organized. I have a list of names that I can pull out. Oh, we met the shopkeeper. What's his name? Uh, hold on. Yeah, it's uh, Josephi. Uh, yeah, and you scratch the name off and you write down who it is. Um, but there's a lot of things to... You know, professional products are professional because they have very creative people. And, and you know, the Pelinor, uh, I've read some of it. It's it's very interesting how they built it up. And there's a lot of deep um, detail that you can get immersed into that you're probably not going to have if you're building it yourself. You know, it's back to that, uh, you're in a room, it's 10 by 10, it's got one door. So um, you mentioned the dual DM. Uh, and and one of the things that you know, I don't know if people have this problem. The other kind of campaign is the idea of, of a West March campaign, which I know I've talked to you about. Um, you want me to explain? Uh, Please do, because I was yeah, I was not familiar with the concept. So I heard it on a video, uh, YouTube video I watch. I think it was uh, Matt Coville, uh, who I watch a lot. And again, if you're interested in DMing, you definitely want to go see his web things. He's a very advocate for DMs. And then I did some research, and the idea is the so. The challenge that you and I have, if you're running a weekly game, is you are you the DM propel the story forward. Where are we going next? What are we going to do? And you kind of present it, and the players just kind of show up and they go, "Okay, what are we doing today? We're going to the Giants," um, and that's great, but it's always on you. And if they don't like it, they kind of are very passive. So the West March just says, or you have a situation of like me, I have nine, twelve players. You had a bunch of players. Um, Hard to get them corralled at the same time, or too many. So if you have too many players and too few DMs, and it's hard to get things going, you do this idea of West March, which is basically you start with the safe town. It has kind of, they all sit at a tavern. They discuss either online or through email where they want to go. You give them some initial seatings on a map that's kind of generic, and you say, oh, we can either go to the temple, we can go to the marshes, or we can go to the mountain. Uh, Which one do you want to do? And when you're here, are my dates as a DM. I'm available. I'm available this day, this day, this day, and uh, by this day, you have to tell me when you, what you want to do. And there's no overarching theme. It's basically characters getting together. Uh, so they roll their characters. You give them some ideas what they can do. They say, "Yep, we want to go to the temple." You create the temple. You buy one. It has to be a one shot, meaning that it has to be completed in one session. Because the idea is this way. Uh, they go into the dungeon, they do their thing, and they go back to town. And um, for, so this way, if the next time people get together, the same players and DMs don't have to be in the thing. You can, and, and when they come back, they give, they give additional clues and they flesh out the map. And this, it's a kind of a self-generating engine. So the advantages are, like the challenge I have with my game, I have up to 12 players, but not all 12 come. So they're, 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 in, they're in the Giants... They're out in the remote place. What do you do with the people who are not there? Do you have them just tag along? Do you have them hang out in the camp? And then the next week, new players are coming. What do you do with those people? Uh, it's it's kind of a hassle, and it breaks that uh, what is that ver- verisimilitude, the thing of being immersed in there. So that's right. what the West March is trying to solve. The 
the DM constantly have to figure out stuff or use building content that people don't want to use, players who can't be consistently there, and dealing with more more uh, creatures. I've not done it. I'd like to do it. Um, we just haven't gotten the inertia. I'm hoping that John and I will try to start that thing and get more DMs so that it's it really solves the problem that we have with our group, which is we have people, a lot of them, are, we have a core people who are very committed, and then we have people who kind of bounce in and out, and it causes an issue for those who are more committed. Does that does that make sense? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think it sounds very interesting. I mean, I like the idea about a single session, because I think one of the difficulties, you know, in completing, right, you complete the mini-adventure right, in that session, I think one of the difficulties is... Well, you complete part of it. You could leave things that they're beyond. One of the tricks is you could have a, and I don't mean to cut you up, so you could have a, an area that has that's way beyond them, and that this way they could go back and redo it, but they couldn't complete it in that session. Like there's a crypt that's locked with, <coughs> that's really not meant for them at this point. Right. So that, and then they go back and write in their journal in the tavern, ooh, secret crypt, and then another yeah. party could go, ooh, we're going to go to the crypt. So that's, that's, so. All the content may be explored, but it may not be completed. Right. And I, and I like that because it sounds like you have good breakoff points at the end of each session. And it sounds like it allows the party to have that, that free reign to do what they want to do and go where they want to go, which I'm sure they appreciate. So, yeah, no, I hope you get a chance to do it. I'd be interested to hear how it goes. So you just have to come up with novel ways for them to get out of the thing every session. Like maybe they can only adventure during the day and at night maybe these undead come and kill everyone so you have to be back in the safe town and the other right. rule is there's no adventuring in the town the the town is basically the place you re- refresh you train you do right. this and that there's no adventuring all it is is a place to gather and then you you move forward okay um anything more about campaigns at this point that you wanted to to bring up no i don't think so okay well that's good let's uh let's move to our um, suggestion. Suggestion. And I'll go first because I know we were talking about some things. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, having that theme of the modules, the kind of the pirate theme. So one of the things you can can use is a website called Adventure Lookup. It's, I think it's AdventureLookup.com. I'm pretty sure I'll put it in the link when I post this. And Adventure Lookup is a, a site, and you can put keywords in, you can put the type of magic items. Let's say you want modules that have portable hole in it. You can type mm-hmm. portable hole, and it will show you all the modules that reference portable hole. Yeah. Or if you want pirate, you can put pirate, and it shows all the pirates. And, and you put the, the and it's, it's, uh, it's agnostic with the, with the game system. So if you want to just see first edition, you could. If you want to see all D&D, you could. If you want to see... Pathfinder, call it, I think it has basically any, it may just be D&D, but I think they've expanded it now to other game systems. Mm-hmm. So this would be a perfect thing of, hey, I want to do a pirate theme, pirate, here's the things, and then it organizes them by level, and then you can find out where you can buy them, or if they're free, or where you can uh, get them, and, and you're not trying to struggle to come up with content. So uh, I've tried to use it a couple of times, especially you know if I'm looking for uh, you know, I want to give the p- party this type of weapon. I can put that in, or I'm looking for uh, an undead-themed mid-level adventure. I can put that in, and it gives me instead of the ones like, okay, well, what's the undead theme or a humanoid one? Oh, there's slavers. There's um, the I series or undead. You know, Pharaoh. 
uh, it gives you a bunch of other ones that you may have not known of. So uh, if you fail your suggestion, uh, you will then go to adventurelookup.com, and that will help you in your DMing. Okay. Uh, that sounds great. Sounds very interesting. I wasn't familiar with that. Adventure Lookup, yeah. Okay. Um, I'd like to uh, recommend uh, a table for critical hits and fumbles uh, that we used to use in our game. A I, hate, good... I hated it, but it's good. Did you hate it? Well, okay, so that's that's good. I hated so you have the con on. I, I hated it, but pl- I hated it because I'm a DM. Players love it. Players I, love it. And they love, 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 love. They love critical hits and fumbles. They love uh, the idea of it. So I, it's it's so I I don't like it just because numerically monsters hit more attack more so it's more likely yeah. they're going to get a critical hit on you and even if they fumble it's still overall worse for the players but but it's it's fun that this thing is good yeah i, I think you know so most i think one of the biggest house rules was having some sort of critical hits and fumbles. And, we do, and I do it in my camp. They, yeah, yeah. They, they, they want it. They want, oh, they roll a 20. Ah, it's a critical. I'm like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll, I had to set up a critical thing. So Yeah, they, yeah right. the players are going to want it. And, you know, Gary Gygax, of course, didn't have it yeah. in the official rule. So by the book, there are no critical hits, no fumbles. And I think one of his, what he said was, well, if you're going to have players have critical hits, then you've right. got to have monsters have critical hits, and the players really want that. Well... I think the answer, you've given the answer, which is actually, yeah, players want it. They'll, they'll take the bad with the good. And so then the question just is, what system are you going to use if you do use one? And I think back in the day, most of us, I think we did with 20 double damage. Yeah. One was, is that right? I mean, I did 20 double damage. Yeah. One, you dropped your weapon, I think. Yeah, that was yeah. It was very, that was basically the house rule. 20 was a double damage. You didn't have to confirm it. You didn't have to do anything else. It was just 20 got a double damage. Right. One was a fumble. And what was nice, so in Dragon Magazine, and the reason I have my phone out is not only to check my text messages and emails. Right, well, all these but emails in, and the phone calls. We're still waiting on our first phone call. Have you been, like, having to, like, you know, like, reject numerous calls? Is that what's been going on well, here? I was like, just how checking. many? 50, 60? Well, I was concerned maybe my cell was not working. Maybe you gave the wrong number and okay. someone's getting, like, a thousand calls right now. Or they could have been texting my number. No, it appears to be empty. I'm okay, just, I'm stunned. I really don't know what's happened here. There must be, right. some, must be a problem with the line. Well, it's still daylight Savings. People are still all jacked up from that. But. That's true. So Dragon number Dragon Magazine number 39 had a table called, had an article called Good Hits and Bad Misses, which gave a system for critical hits and fumbles. And the reason why I liked good hits and bad misses is because the idea of a 20 always being a critical hit would mean that if you needed a 19, right. 50% of your hits would be critical hits. And obviously you can see this coming. If you need a 20... 100% of your hits would be critical hits, and that didn't seem to make a lot of sense. And so what this system did was you would roll, and if you needed a 19 to hit and you rolled a 10, since you were 9 points lower, right. you would then roll again, and it would be, you'd have a 9% chance, if I'm remembering it correctly, you'd have a 9% so. chance of a critical hit. So what it did, so obviously if you needed, you know, uh, you know, it, it would adjust. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it was right. So I'm sorry. Well, I had it. I missed on that hit. Is that right. bad? It is quite early. That's, that's right. If you, need, if you needed a 10 to hit and you got a 20, you were 10 over, you had a 10% right. chance. So what it did was then it increased the percentage chance of having a critical hit if you had a better chance to hit in general. Right. And it decreased. And that made a lot of and sense. Conversely, if you 
if you had a, a, a hard chance to hit and you missed, you have a better chance to fumble. Exactly. exactly. And, and if you needed a 20 to hit, you actually had no chance of getting a critical hit because you couldn't have over... Well, I guess you could have over 20. I can't remember if it was modified or unmodified. But so, and then the chart had a lot of different things that could happen, different types of critical hits, you know, it described them, and so it added flavor to the game. So I liked the chart. Um, as James, as you've pointed out, it can be pretty rough. When you're low level, you don't get many critical hits because you need you tend to need higher numbers, of course, to hit because you're low level. Yeah, uh, if you need a 15 to hit normally if you're first level, you're naturally going to have more chances of fumbling at that point. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, it can be a little rough at lower levels. But so I recommend if you're looking for a system for critical hits and fumbles, uh, I recommend that you at least take a look at uh, good hits and bad misses from Dragon Magazine. The chart is really good uh, because it kind of lays out a bunch of things. You can you can fiddle with the percentages of them. You know, some things it's super crazy from, oh, you just cut their head off. They're dead Im- immediately. But, you know, what happens if it's a hydra or whatever, some, some creature or a j- green slime, then you have to kind of still have to adjudicate some of these things where it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah they're right. The green slime drops its weapon. Right, yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, so there's some things that you're going to have to kind of figure out. But... Um, if your players, I think what Dan talked about last time we talked was they want to see more than I roll, I hit, I roll, I hit. So it gives more flavor for you to add to the, the experience. So you're not just sitting there and just rolling dice. However, if your players are already struggling with what do I need to hit? How much I need to plus? Well, now you got to figure out what they need to hit. Because a lot of times what I try to do is let's just roll the dice. You got 11. Okay. I think you hit. Let's check. If they roll a three, they missed. If they roll an eighteen, they probably hit. Unless you know they're right. fighting suit. Now you got to figure out what it is, and then you got to roll additional dice. Um, so we got to the point we just started rolling everything at the same time right. because we just wanted to keep the game right. going faster and faster. So it, there's always pros and cons to it, and um, but the the table itself. And the idea of it, I, I do like the way they, they did that. Mm-hmm. So it's very good, very good. Do we need to offer a reward for calling in? How I mean, much money are you willing to? Uh, I'm not willing to give it. I will give a prize out. I have some random stuff, random D&D swag that I would probably think about if they're the first caller. So, if they, so okay, so the first caller right. gets a ba- bag of stuff. Right. They'll, they'll get something. And, and you know, or... Um, you know, we could roll on the magic item table for them and see what they get from it. Right, not literally. No, of course that. not. Yes, you would get a staff of power. No, you're not going to get it. Okay, power. so James really? is offering a bag of stuff, That's or right. it would be your choice, or you can roll for random magic items, right. which you wouldn't actually get. That's right. But you could pretend you had it. Right, it would be, it would be, there would be a random table that I'd have to make up of either a physical item or, you know, you'd be the cool kid, the first uh, grog talk, you know, defender, plus four defender that you would get. So you know, And, and you'd be announced here. Those would be the more important. You'd be announced, and you know, we could name a segment after you, too. That's Right. Could we? The whatever, like, you know, so instead of like the Dick Sporting Goods, right. we're not quite at that point right. where we're yeah. going to get that kind of sponsorship. Right. This is the the uh, Joseph A. Talbert's uh, wrap up segment. Yeah. That's we're right. offering the wrap up segment. All right. So we are offering, if you want it, so that's the, right. the swag or it's that's an right. or, not that's, an and. Yeah, that's right. It's disjunctive. That's right. Or an, a, a random roll of a magic item, which you won't actually get, but you can pretend you get. Or. You get the name, the wrap up segment right. named, named after you or your character in, in perpetuity. As long, in per, well, for at least the, through twenty nineteen. 
through 2019, your name or your character's name, if you're the first... As long as it's not obscene. And you can call in and just say... As long as it's not... That's true. Boy, you're like a lawyer. That's good. Yeah. That's right. As long as it's not... I'm a a manager. I mean, that's what you... you Right. As long as it's not obscene. That's right. And you can call up, and and just to be clear, you can call up, and you can just be like, yeah, I just called to get the stuff. Right. right? Yeah. And and, and you have to do it on the live stream. You have to do it during here. You can't call me, like, at 2 in the morning and say, hey, I just heard this. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. It's the first call on the live stream. Right. When we're doing this. Not when you watch it and call me later. Don't do that. Right. Don't do that. And. And you can call just to say, I'm just calling to get the stuff or whatever. Right. You don't have to ask a question. You can even exactly call right. to say, I just want to let you guys know you suck. Right. But that's you can, fine, you too. You say stuff and hang up, and I would, that would be okay, too. Right, because you'd have the right. So, but um, you have to call. You can't just... All right, so go ahead. And so, so let's see. What is the percentage chance that anyone will call, in your opinion? Uh, I think it's a 1% chance. But it will grow over time. That's generous. That's generous. I think, okay. I think after, after GrogCon, that Crucible happens at the end of this year, we're going to have a lot more people involved. Okay, so, so go ahead. So can, can you give out the number one? So hold on, give us, give us, there's a lot of viewers out there that need time to run and get the pencil. That's right. So you guys are ready. Get your pencil. That's right. 407. 407. 476. 476. 6779. Six seven seven nine. That's it. That's a lot. Of, all right. That's a lot of numbers. But they can if if you later you can write this down, watch it on YouTube, pause the podcast, go back, and then have it ready for next time. And the good news is the operator is standing by. And the good news is right. Even if you know you're watching this podcast and it was videotaped twelve years ago, right. You still probably can be the first caller and win the stuff, right? If 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 if, if, if one or both of us is alive, that's right. I'll be in the home. <laughs> the phone rings. Hello, I want the stuff. Oh, okay, finally. Yes. Give me the stuff that I've been holding on the box in my ALF. They're pulling the box down. Yeah. Go there. It is. All, All right. right. Okay. So, you know, hopefully it won't be something that only works. It's only VHS or whatever. So I don't know if they'll have that. I so, should call. You should. I could call right now. Yes. Then you would. That would be great. I, I would give you. Go on. There's stuff in there that you would want. I have swag in there that you would want. So oh. I'm not mentioning it because I don't want. I want. I want them oh. to think what good swago mystery it is. I have. I have. You know. I've acquired some things and I've got duplicates of things. So I, I have you've some. been places. Yeah. You've I've met places. people. I've met people. Go I have for things. things. I do. I do. So. So uh, so we're you know we're doing this because we're getting ready for GrogCon at Crucible and and um, I think right the the meeting was scheduled for this month is that correct Yeah we we have a meeting with the Crucible crew coming up What's the uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later We're on Yeah YouTube. we're not inviting people no, to we're that not, meeting we're not, that's no. just at somebody else's house That's right that yeah, yeah right We're on YouTube we're on Twitter uh, uh, we're at Grog Talk our website is grogcon.com uh, your podcast on Google Play and iTunes, so please like and subscribe so that more people can uh, find out about the shenanigans and say, hey, this is exciting for me. I want other people to hear about random thoughts. Um, if you have uh, future items or guests, please send that info at grogcon.com. And so on behalf, uh, I'm James. I'm Dan. And so we're ending episode 10, and we will now move into... Uh, Appendix A, and so till then, have a great time. This has been a Bushy Puppy production. All rights reserved.